following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Welcome. We're so glad to have you all here this morning with us as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry. (laughs) I'm still warming up from the sunrise service, and that affects everything for me. Um, We're all here this morning, whether it's your first time visiting or if you've been coming here Sunday after Sunday for a long time. Um, We're all here today because today is by far the most important day uh, on the church calendar. We're celebrating the most important day in the history of the world. Um, This is a special reminder of this, that important day in the history of mankind, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. J.P. Lang wrote, The resurrection of Jesus is not a point on which we are at liberty to form any opinion we may choose without prejudice to our own salvation. What that means is that we believe what we believe about the resurrection of Jesus matters. So with that in mind, let's pray and we'll dive into the scripture. Father God, we are grateful to be called together in this place this morning. We thank you for bringing us all here. We know it's not by accident. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak now through your word, not me. I pray that you would be our interpreter of the word this morning so that we truly hear from you. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and soft hearts to receive your message. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So it seems to me uh, that looking over Easter sermons that I have preached uh, over the years, um, the focus has been squarely on the reality of Jesus' resurrection or at least maybe trying to convince people of the reality of the resurrection. Um, Now, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not going to pretend to be. I'm not any kind of legal expert at all. And I know there's people in this crowd that will correct me if I get things like that wrong. Um, So what I do know is that eyewitness accounts help establish facts. In any given case, I'm I'm watching for you, Christine. If you're shaking your head, I'm good. If you're doing this, I'm going to have to work on it a little bit. If eyewitness accounts from two or three people are enough to prove the facts of a case, then eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts of over 500 people is enough to make a case ironclad. Right. This is the case with the death and resurrection of Jesus. This morning, I'd like to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verses 3 through 26, and that's on page 
961 in the Pew Bibles, so you can see it for yourselves. 1 Corinthians was the first of two letters written to the Corinthian church by the Apostle Paul about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The city of Corinth that Paul was writing, uh, that, that where the church was that Paul was writing to, was at the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. And like many cities that thrive on trade, uh, Corinth had a reputation. A reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. And the church that the Apostle Paul planted there floundered under all of these influences and began to divide over various issues. And many people compare the church in Corinth to the church in America. But I'll let you decide that for yourself. You can read the book on your own. We're just going to look at a little part of it. In chapter 15, starting at verse 3, Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So Paul's writing this letter to the church. And understand that that's not just a group of people that gathered regularly on any given Sunday morning. Um, but he was writing to those who put their trust in Jesus. Not those who just agreed with the facts, that facts that Jesus lived and that Jesus died, but he's writing to those who are dependent on his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. That's an important distinction. The reality of Jesus' death and resurrection was already established and remains established to this day. And those who choose not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they are choosing to reject facts, rejecting reality, and most importantly, rejecting our Savior Jesus. As I said at the beginning, the resurrection of Jesus is not a point on which we are at liberty to form any opinion we may choose without jeopardizing our own salvation. The resurrection of Jesus is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is the central point of the Bible. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no church. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope for the future or hope for life beyond death. 
without the resurrection of Jesus, none of this matters. We might as well be the Rotary Club. In other words, in case you haven't picked up on it, the resurrection of Jesus is wicked important. Paul goes on to write in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. There is so much to unpack here. And I'm glad you don't have plans for this afternoon because we're going to get it all. No, I'm going to be brief. (laughs) (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that those who have faith in Jesus will one day also be raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for the future because of the forgiveness of our sins. It gives us hope for the future that lies beyond this life, beyond the death of these natural bodies. Verses 17 through 19 point out the wonderful benefits of the resurrection of Jesus for those who trust him, but does so in the negative. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have now perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. The sad statement, if that's true. But let's turn it around and read it in the positive. You ever tried that? Since Christ has been raised from the dead, your faith is fruitful and you are no longer in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are going to be alive. Since in Christ we have hope in this life and beyond, we're above, we're among all people to be the most joyful. Ha! That sounds way better to me. Paul confirms this in verses 20 through 26. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We are all, by nature, children of Adam. Adam and Eve, perhaps you've heard of them. They're towards the front of the book. And because we are children of Adam, we have inherited his sinful nature. That's the nature that chooses sin over 
and over. It chooses selfishness over and over. It chooses pride over and over. The Bible makes it clear that the wages of our sin is death. What we earn by sinning is death. What our nature earns is death. But, but God offers forgiveness for our sin freely. He offers salvation from eternal death freely through faith in Jesus. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We have this hope for this life and beyond because Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul wrote that Jesus is the first fruits from the dead, alive forevermore. Right? And the promise for us that those that belong to him through faith is that when he returns, we'll be made alive forevermore too. Jesus will destroy every other rule and authority and power, and that will even include death itself. Now, there's a lot of people in the world, perhaps even you this morning, that think of the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead is ridiculous. They scoff at that fact. They scoff at the fact that we're gathered here this morning. There are those in the world that think the resurrection of Jesus from the dead might be, I mean, reasonable. After all, lots of people uh, have been killed over the years for talking about it. So it seems unreasonable that anybody would give their life up just for a fairy tale. So it's at least reasonable. But I'll say it again as I've tried to represent it in every Easter sermon that I've preached so far, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a fact. It is a reality. And it is a reality worth staking our lives upon. Alistair Begg posed three questions regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is it ridiculous? Is it reasonable? And most importantly, is it relevant? I believe that the passage we've looked at answers all three of these questions. But I want to drill down on just one. Is it relevant? That is if to say, what difference does it make that Jesus was raised from the dead? Does it make any difference at all? Simply put, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives us a way to be connected with God the Father and satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. That's everybody. God is at the deepest longings of the human heart, whether people recognize it or not. When tragedy strikes, when we're shaken to our core, we all look to God because we're made in his image. Whether, whether we're shaking our fists in anger at him or asking him why he allowed this thing to happen, we still go to him because we are made in his image and we are designed to long for him. At our core, we go to God because he is the answer to the deepest longings of our heart. But what difference does it make 
that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that provides forgiveness for our sin. His sacrifice provides our salvation through faith in him. It is the gift of God by faith that we might be saved. And because we have been forgiven through faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, we no longer have to fear death anymore. We don't have to fear death any more than we fear falling asleep. Because we know on the other side of death's door is our Father with open arms. And we get to be with him forever. Christ is the first fruits from the dead. And when he returns, we who belong to him will be raised too. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ and his resurrection. So you have to ask yourself the question, is the death and resurrection of Jesus ridiculous? Is it merely reasonable? Or is it truly relevant? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, never accepted the fact that his death on the cross was for your sin, but you want to, it's as simply simple as asking God for forgiveness. Declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved, forgiven, adopted as God's child. No sin too great. No no separation too great that God cannot reach. Would you all stand with me as we pray? Father, we are grateful for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We're grateful that this is not a ridiculous fairy tale, but it is a reality that God loved the world, loved us so much that you would send your only son to die on the cross in our place and raise him again from the dead that we too might one day be raised from the dead to be with you forever. Lord, again, I pray if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that has not accepted Jesus as their Savior, they could pray in the quietness of their own heart, ask you for forgiveness, accept Jesus' death on the cross was for them, to receive your salvation, your forgiveness, and your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is the most important day on our calendar because we are remembering and celebrating the most important day that ever happened, Jesus rising from the dead. We're so grateful that Jesus is alive and we can have fellowship with him. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful free gift of your salvation through faith in Jesus. I pray all this In his holy name, amen.
you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.